you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Galatians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 1 to 6. This is uh, the second week of Advent. And uh, our theme for Advent as we approach Christmas Day is awaiting the King. So we've, just a reminder, Advent means arrival. And so while we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, who has come to take away the sins of the world, we also find ourselves in another Advent, another waiting, another waiting another arrival of the king's return. And so Christmas sort of has both of these feels and themes for us, and we'll be looking at that this morning, but also for the rest of our Advent season. So with uh, Galatians chapter 4 in mind, beginning in verse 1, going to verse 6, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child... It is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under, under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we meet yet again. Um, Some of us better places than we were before, others worse. But we all come here from different places Uh, seeking to hear from you, seeking your peace and your comfort. And so we ask at this time that you would do a work in us through your spirit uh, that would open our eyes and our ears to see and hear things otherwise we could not, that we would feel your presence and know uh, your work, uh, that it is finished for us on the cross in Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. When was the last time you had peace in your life. And by peace, I'm going to kind of pull from the biblical term for peace, shalom, which really means peace throughout all areas of your life. So when was the last time that you had peace like this? Can you think of a time in your life when everything was right with the world? And just to sort of kind of help guide you with some of these categories, you know, um, family. Okay, so just everything was, was well, there was no fighting. Uh, your uh, immediate but also um, extended family, no problems there. Let's move on over to work and career. All right, you were killing it wherever you were. And also at the same time, your work and career was fulfilling you in all the ways that you had expected it, but probably even more. So that's happening too. Um, what about school? Um, when was the last time... That uh, both, you know, so you got work, you got family, school uh, was just amazing. And you loved getting there. And the, really the only problem you had was that school ended at some point in time during the day. But you loved it. And you couldn't get enough of it. Every, every class, all your friends, all the people, like you didn't have enemies. Or sports. Let's go there for a second. Uh, when was 
the time when all this stuff lined up. And this is my, this might be for many of us where this ends, where your team met your expectations for the year. You know, so I had it going pretty well with family at one point in time in my life. My work was going well. School was great. Uh, but my sports team kind of ruined it all for us. But maybe not. What about your faith, the spiritual component of your life? Um, you know, this would be having a piece of sorts that says that, you know, I'm growing in my faith. I don't have these doubts that are um, causing me to, you know, stumble. And I'm enjoying uh, my pre- the presence that I have. That I feel with God, but I'm also finding more time to volunteer. It's great. Um, everything about being a Christian is wonderful. And what about peace with yourself? The internal peace that we often talk a lot about, which certainly our culture would say is the most important thing, is to figure out what it is inside of you that, that, that you need to fix, and, and you can fix that with the correct thinking, and, uh, and you know, just find your best self. But also the way we look, you know, the, the peace that's there with who we are, both physically, but emotionally and all those things. When was the last time all those things aligned together and there was this moment of just shalom? And you're waiting for this to get over because you're like, this has never, ever happened before in my life ever once. And, you know, I think it's worth just sort of like pausing for a second and recognizing how crazy that is. And, and all of us would agree that, that there isn't this moment, you know, even if we just said not just for a year or a month or, or, or a week or a day, even an hour of our lives. Never have you or I ever experienced peace in our lives the way that the Bible promises peace, which is peace over all areas of our life. It's never happened. Have you ever thought about that? I think it's a little strange, actually, the more I began to think about it. I mean, we all certainly experience peace at times in the areas of our life that I mentioned, and there are more. But, but there's always something happening. There's always something that is messing this up. You know, it could be good at work, but there is something wrong at home. Or it could be good at home, but there's something wrong at school. And it, it just seems no matter how how good it can be, something is always off, and that is, that is the reality of all of our lives. Something is always off. Everything in some way is affected. In other words, peace, shalom, is not here. Yet, anyway. Instead, then, we live in a state of unrest. And what Christmas is trying to say to us each year is that the unrest that you are experiencing in life, it is not a surprise to God. Jesus is well acquainted with it as he came and as he died in the midst of this unrest, for this unrest. But, but God in the Bible, they're not surprised by this unrest. And because though Jesus is acquainted with it, here's the hope of our season, peace is possible. Now, but also ultimately later. But because we are in this place of unrest, this is what we experience most today as we wait. As we wait for our king to bring 
this shalom that we are all longing for in our lives. And in fact, our waiting, the church's waiting, is actually better characterized as suffering. But that doesn't make our waiting in vain. And that's really what I want us to see this morning is that it actually makes our waiting useful and helpful to those suffering around us. Because as the church, we know that the King, Jesus Christ, is coming to return to bring everlasting peace to us in the midst of our unrest. And I want to look at those three things in your bulletin. That what causes our unrest while we wait. What solves our unrest while we wait. And what soothes our unrest while we wait. So let's look look at that first one there. What causes our unrest? And what causes the unrest that, that, that I just described in those few areas of our lives is the separation that you have and experience with God. And this separation from God creates fear and distress in all other areas of our lives, which creates unrest. So just consider, consider these general areas of life for a second, of the unrest that we can just sort of look at in a glance and glance at, the political unrest that we have. And it's not just sort of here domestically, right? Has anybody ever come to you and said, boy, I'm really thankful for this season of political rest? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're just sort of looking at uh, headlines, uh, there are, there, there's just tons of, of um, you know, un- I, I, there is no political shalom. We'll just put it that way. That is an oxymoron in our, in our time right now. There's civil unrest, right? There's civil unrest. There's rioting. There's racism. There's domestic violence in our families. In Paris now, over a fuel tax, they're reporting like, right, the worst riots in, in decades over there. And it's just getting worse. And for the record, look, I'm not suggesting by any means as I sort of paint this picture for us that somehow we're getting worse, right? I'm not appealing to some sort of uh, sentimentality that I wish we could return to the good old days. I am saying loud and clear that this is the way that it's always been. I would actually argue that it is getting better, but we can talk about that over coffee. And it's getting better because Jesus has come and his peace is here and his peace lives inside of us as we'll see at the end of the sermon. But I'm not suggesting that we're just getting worse and worse and worse. Do not hear that. What I want us to tap into, though, is the, the, just the obvious unrest that we experience on a day-to-day basis. Financial unrest. This was a terrible week for you to go look at your 401k. So don't do it now with your phone. Relational unrest. Being single can be hard. Being married can be hard. Friendships are always messy. There's unrest there relationally, emotional unrest, depression, and anxiety all around us, especially this time of year. There's spiritual unrest, doubts about God. Should we find a new church? I know God loves me, but I don't feel his presence like I have before. But really, if we want to be convinced of our unrest, I I would just suggest this. we We look no further than our cell phones, essentially. First, why am I constantly checking this thing every three to four minutes? What am I looking for, really? And why is there deep anxiety when I am not checking my phone? I could just be talking about myself right now. You just keep staring as if, you know, yeah, this is just Ryan's problem. (laughs) 
But the second thing about that is, what am I actually looking at on my phone? And that really tells the story, doesn't it? But whatever it is, I'm hoping that what I'm looking at and who's maybe reaching out to me or whatever picture I might find, I'm hoping that it what? Soothes this unrest. It is an elixir, right? And the list goes on. Peace at times, yes, can be found. I'm not saying that it can't, but everything is some in some way is affected. Everything in our lives is touched by this. And the reason for this is the separation that you and I experience from God. As a result, there is no lasting peace or shalom right now. And this is why Augustine cried out, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is what restless until it finds its rest in thee. Separation from God causes the unrest we feel everywhere else in our lives. And this started in the garden. Back in chapter 3 of Genesis. This is the end of Shalom. When the Bible says in Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The Bible is saying Shalom has ended. Peace is gone. It's because of the separation. And instead, insecurity and fear now come into our hearts because of that separation. And it it fuels the unrest that we look to soothe every time we grab our phone. Every time we go off to work and hope that this time I will find purpose somewhere. I will be fulfilled in all the areas of life that I want to be fulfilled in. But, but why, why is this? And this has been a question that I've been trying to get my arms around since I've just started asking the question maybe. But what, what actually happened in the garden that causes this? We say sin entered the world. And I have not been satisfied with that. And maybe you haven't either. What is it? What does that mean? And the best way to really describe what has happened is we have lost God as our reference point. Do you know what I mean by reference point? A couple, couple of ways to describe this. A reference point is what gives us or gives something meaning and direction in life. If you're a boater or have been boating, especially at night, you know that, that at night if you're traveling, you're looking for what? You're looking for that marker, that channel marker. Hopefully it's lit up to show you what, where to go, to give you that meaning and that, or that, that direction even so as not to like hit shore or anything like that. That's a reference point. But we, friends, are relational beings. And so we, <laughs> to put it mildly, like we, we get so much more than direction and meaning from God as our reference point. We get identity and we get purpose as well. And so what happened in the garden is we got separated from our ultimate channel marker, our ultimate reference point, which is God himself. And we experience and taste that, that lostness every single day. And we are scared because of it. And everywhere we turn, we experience unrest. I don't know if you've ever been physically lost before. Ada tells uh, the story of her being lost as a child in the St. Louis airport. And uh, somehow she got disconnected from her parents, and she wasn't more than eight years old, and 
she happened to either find the security guard or the security guard found her. We're not really sure what, what, what took place. And she gave the security guard her parents' name and number, which children, you should always do that if you get lost. And they called out over the loudspeaker throughout all of Lambert Airport. <clears throat> Will the parents of Ada, Margaret Appling, please come to the such and such to find her? Um, but it, you know, there were tears until what? She saw her parents until her parents came and got her. And we could say about that story that Ada getting separated and lost from her parents in the St. Louis airport is her losing and being separated from her reference point. That her parents function as that. That without these parents, without her folks, right, she becomes insecure as to her surroundings. She doesn't know where to go. She doesn't know what to do. And you could certainly make the case she doesn't even know who she is apart from these two people. That, that is a, a, a small way for me to sort of begin to, to, to understand what happened when we say sin entered the world in Genesis 3. You got separated from the one thing that was to give you meaning and purpose and direction and identity. And it doesn't mean that you just go on with your life. It doesn't mean that I'm just like, well, my parents aren't here. I guess I'll just kind of go on and pursue my career. <laughs> no. We look for other things to soothe that unrest. We look for other reference points. That is what is true about us. We do not stay neutral and we don't go looking for God to come back into our lives to be our reference point again. This is, this is what sin does. We find other reference points. And the Bible says that we become slaves to these other reference points, which is what Paul is actually talking about here when he says, when you were children, you were enslaved to the, what, the elementary principles of this world. You were clinging to those things for that purpose and identity and meaning and direction because you got separated because of sin in the garden from the one true ultimate reference point of your life. And as a result of that, we do not experience the peace and shalom that God created us to experience. And it is that separation that has caused the unrest that sits in all of our hearts this morning. It is why addiction, friends, is such a part of all of our lives. We are all addicts of something, something to soothe this unrest. And as a result, we form unhealthy relationships with things and people. Some of us play way too much golf. Some of us go to work way too long. Some of us are just, we live to get away. I'm just trying to get away from here. Because this is where I'm going to find the peace that I'm looking for. This is where, out here, this is where the unrest will go away. And some of us think that money then is the goal to this. That somehow it has the ability to get us to rise above the unrest that we are experiencing. We eat and drink our way through this unrest. We form unhealthy relationships with people and things because we believe that we have the power to get out of this unrest. But where is that unrest ultimately coming from? It's coming from right here. You can't get away from it, friends. It is in your heart. 
And this is why trying to get away from the unrest doesn't work. It travels with you because it is you. And it's there because of what? The separation. You are fundamentally cut off from God because of sin. And this is what causes our unrest and why there is no lasting peace. This is the longest point of our sermon this morning. And I have to labor here because now you are ready for Christmas. So I brought my parents to come and enjoy this wonderful holiday sermon. And now I'm getting this. What? We have to enter into this. Or Christmas makes no sense to us. So don't despair. And this gets to our second point, what solves our unrest. But that was the first point. What creates this unrest? And friends, it is your separation that happened in Genesis 3. And because of that separation, all of this chaos floods now into every single area of your life. Family, work, school, sports, everything. But God hasn't left you. And that's what Christmas is. And this gets to our second point. What solves our unrest. What solves our unrest is this. It's not us getting away from the unrest. As, you, as if you even could. It's what? It's God coming into it. God coming near. It's God coming to us to end the separation. And to dwell with us. Bringing with him ultimate peace and shalom. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. I want to take a second to just take that in. I don't have any better words for you this morning. So I'll say it again. What solves our unrest is not us getting away from it. It's actually trusting and seeing that God has come into it himself. He has come to draw near. He is coming to us to end the separation and to dwell with us, to bring with him everlasting peace. The shalom that you are looking for in all these other areas of life. This is what he's coming to do. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me. This is the, what we call the objective work of Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It is the incarnation of Jesus, friends, the son of God, that solves the unrest because it is the solution to our separation from God. Jesus has come to die that we may never be separated from him again. In fact, he has come, as the text says, to what adopt us. To adopt us. This is what Paul means when when he uses the word redeem. He is going to release, as another word for that, the slave, you and me, from its owner by paying the full price. And what is the full price? Death. The wages of sin is death. So that you could be reunited with him as Adam and Eve were before they ate the fruit. That's the plan. But it's no longer the, it's the good news. It's the good news. And this is the objective work of God here. And by objective, I, I mean that this has happened for us. And that this has happened for us whether you feel it or not. And I would go so far as to say it has happened for us. It has happened in this world in time and space whether you believe it or not. That is what we mean by the objective work 
of God. And this is why we say it solves our unrest. But, but, and this is crucial, it doesn't mean we never experience unrest again. And that's helpful for many this time of year who experience sorrow and and loss and deep depression and anxiety. Christmas in America is fun. I like it. I like it a lot. But it can be extremely difficult for those who are told that it is the most wonderful time of the year when all you want to do is crawl up in a ball and sit in the fetal position in your bed and never leave. That type of depression and anxiety that this time of year often brings. That unrest. And do you know what Jesus' response to you is this morning? If that is you this morning. He says, that is okay. He says, I am with you. I've come to be with you in that mess. This Christmas, it says, you know, Jesus is saying, you don't have to feel all the feels of Christmas for it to be true. That's why we look at the objective work of God. He's born of a woman, born under law, to redeem you from the law so that you may be an adopted son or daughter. In other words, your feelings, whether strong or weak towards me, does not change that. It doesn't change what he has done. A new day is coming, friends. Though we wait now, a new day is coming. Jesus solves our unrest by coming to us, by ending the separation. But that never means that we don't experience unrest again. Some of us this morning, in the midst of our depression and anxiety that holidays tend to bring, or just the unrest that we have spoken of prior, need to hear that. I need to read again that regardless of how I'm feeling about God, regardless of how I'm feeling about Christmas this morning, regardless of of whatever it is going in my life, this is true. That Jesus was born and he died and he came to adopt me as a son and daughter. That is what I will hold on to. That will be my portion for this day. Because this is what ultimately solves the unrest that I am feeling right now. But as I said, we are not promised to be removed completely from that unrest. And this gets to the last point. What then soothes the unrest? What soothes this unrest? And what soothes this unrest is the Holy Spirit in us. Look at verse 6 one last time. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. First, whose spirit is it that is causing us to cry out? It's not your spirit. Did you notice this? It's the spirit of the Son. It's God's spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is causing us to cry out. More on crying out in a minute. But the spirit is referring that, that, that he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. And this means, friends, presence. This means God's presence with you. God is not far from you. He is not separated from you completely. He is near to you. And this soothes our unrest because it actually tells us that we are not alone. That we are no longer separated. Well, how does God's spirit do this? By causing us to cry out. He is causing us to cry out. Like a child to his parent, Abba. Which just means daddy. 
To cry out refers to our prayer life, actually. Which is, it's actually talking about talking with God in prayer. One commentary puts it this way, that calling out is like a child to his or her parent when in need. And that same spirit brings us peace like a parent who attends that child. What Paul is saying, to quote one pastor in this text, is that Christians then feel a remarkable reality of nearness to God because of the Spirit. A nearness to God by the Holy Spirit that causes us to cry out, Daddy. And this is not objective, though. This is subjective, meaning that we all feel and experience this in different ways in different times of our life. But it's there. But the way we experience this is by crying out to God, which is prayer, talking with God until he comes again to end all the separation once and for all. Many of us forget, though, what prayer is and what it does for us. And this is a reminder from Paul Of the nearness of God that we have through prayer because he has sent his spirit to live with you. Do we exercise that? Which is what prayer meditation is. That he has sent his spirit into this once alienated and cut off and separated heart forever. So that you can no longer be cut off and alienated and separated. You have it right now. He is there. That means presence and nearness. And that's why it soothes our unrest. It doesn't eliminate it. We are not in a place of elimination. Shalom is not here. But the Spirit is here to testify that God is with you. And He is coming for you. And though it doesn't end our unrest, it soothes it as we wait for our King's return to bring and to perfect His peace. So just as some of us need to hear and to meditate on the objective work of Christ, some of us need the subjective experience of the Spirit this season as well. That is, those who are heavy-footed on Christ's objective work, we know doctrinally what He has done for us, that this has solved our unrest and has ended the separation between God and man by dying on the cross. But internally, this might leave you feeling distant from God. Or let me put it another way, you might have had somebody tell you, you seem cold and sterile. <laughs> you, know, you seem like you don't have relational uh, equity with God, although you know a lot of things. <clears throat> and so to call him father just doesn't seem to align with what you think being a Christian is. And so the distance grows inside until the idea of a relationship with God seems confusing, if not silly. And so what do you do? You need to start crying out. You need to be childlike. Start engaging God's spirit that's in you through prayer and meditation. That's what crying out is. And as I study this and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about how appropriate that is and how oftentimes Jesus talks about the kingdom coming to... to, to, You have to have childlike faith. To have this. Because it's only a child who's willing to do the crying out necessary uh, to his father when in need. For some of us, we need to talk to God 
as we rest in his objective work on the cross for us. We're going to be talking a lot about crying out or praying to God next spring, but how wonderful it is that God gives us his spirit that causes us to cry out to him so that we might feel his presence in the midst of unrest. And if you feel distant from God, what better time of year than Christmas to know that drawing near to him is possible because he has come near. One more point of application. As we wait for our king, we are not promised contentment. We've kind of said that already. But we're not promised contentment or we're not promised awaiting that, that, that is marked by unrest or, or without fear or without anxiety. We're not, not promised that. There will be tears as we wait, as you wait. Until what? Until our king comes again. And as the words of Revelation put it, wipe the tears out of your eyes. But that day is not today, friends. And since that day is not today, that means what it, what, what, what it is for the church to be then is to be that peace that goes into all the unrest and into all the, unbro- all the broken and hurting and suffering places of this world to bring the message of peace and hope of the gospel to them. It is to tell the story over and over and over again to a hurting people, a people. If you are in unrest and you have the Holy Spirit, what about people who don't have the Holy Spirit? Okay, right. But it's to bring that message over and over and over into those places saying peace is coming. Be still. I I will wait with you. That is the church's call to sit in both of these places, knowing that peace has come in Jesus to solve our unrest. But it's not here. Finally, it is coming and it is our job to make that message clear. But oftentimes we get fumbled with words, which are important. And the best way for us to give that message is to what? Just sit and wait with people. Enter their unrest. Enter their mess. And wait with them. And in that way, you are communicating to people the wonderful promise of Advent. That peace is coming because our king, friends, is returning to end the separation from God to bring his everlasting peace to us. I'll end with a story of a friend. We'll call him Chad. Who tells a story about getting separated from his dad when he was five or six years old, and he says that his dad took him to this, <clears throat> some type of play uh, in this sort of uh, big Nashville arena, and it was in a circular, you know, he sat in the middle, um, big arena, and, and as, ever, as the play was ending, or whatever it was, the Christmas production, um, as much as six-year-olds do, he, he wanted to show his dad that he, he was old enough to make it all the way to the car, so he took off. And as everybody's exiting this arena, he takes off, and where he should have gone left, he goes right. And he gets lost in this crowded mess of people as they are all trying to leave uh, the arena. So Chad does what any six-year-old would do in this situation. He balls up along the wall in tears until some man comes up to him and says, are, you know, obviously you're not okay, but um, what's wrong? What's wrong? Can I help you? And Chad told the man that he got separated from his dad, that he couldn't find him and that he was lost. And so the man says, come with me. And he grabs, he grabs my friend and he puts him up on his shoulders and he walks out into the middle of the, the, you know, the exits, the aisle where it's just packed with people. He walks out there in the middle and he just stands. 
And he just stands out there with this, my friend on his shoulder crying. And he just waits. And he waits. And he waits. As people trying to leave. And my friend tells this story, though. It's funny. He says, at this point, this man's efforts didn't really seem to be helping. It seemed like all he wanted to do was just embarrass me because now everybody in the arena is seeing me cry as I'm sitting on the shoulders of this individual whom I don't even know. But it was years later that he realized that this man was helping. And the reason, you know, what he didn't know about him was this man was a father too. And he knew that as a father, that if he had lost a child in that situation, that he wouldn't be leaving that arena without his child. And so he took Chad on his shoulders and he put him out there so he could be seen. And he just stood there and just waited because he knew that father would be making his rounds again, going around and around until he finally found his son. Chad says that he remembers what it was like when his father came into view and the tears end and because he knew everything was going to be fine. All right? Look, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. All of us this morning are that six-year-old son or daughter. Right? We're sitting on the shoulders. We're crying. We're in this midst of unrest because we're, we're separated from our father. And all of us, like a six-year-old separated from his father, there is a message, though, to be still and to know your maker, for he is coming for you. He's coming for you. And while there may be unrest in the midst of that, until he comes to to bring his full shalom, you are not alone. You have the spirit of his son that resides inside of you, the community of God's people all around you, to wait with you in the midst of this unrest. As we wait for his peace, the peace that he brings, an everlasting peace that all of our unrest today longs for. That is the hope of this season. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this story, that though we focus on it at this time of year, it is the truth that we live by every single day, that you are coming back for us. Yes, you have died for us. You have fixed the problem, but you are coming back to to bring your full shalom, to bring your peace into all areas of, of our lives so that we would be together and ultimately that we would no longer be separated from you. So be with us now as you promised through your spirit. Draw near to those who need to feel your presence this morning in ways that they haven't in a while. And Lord, continue to show us your grace and mercy and truth. As we seek to worship you and follow you this day, we ask this all in your son's name. Amen.